Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Leaving Eden podcast. Um, I am Gabrielle Hawkowen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. Um, how are you doing today? I am doing, doing okay. Hanging in there. Yep. There's a cat on my lap. There's always a cat on your lap. Our podcast cat likes to sit under my chair when I record, usually. And I'm in a different room today, so he's a little confused, but he came to sit on my lap for a minute. That's nice. Yeah, it, it is nice. Little blessings. Yeah, I think we had some uh, news and updates before we do our before we do our episode. Yeah, so before we start, there are a few things that uh, we just want to say. Um, important news and updates. So my first thing... Um, I wanted to just say to everybody who's already listening every week, we we both wanted to say thank you so much because we've put so much time and effort into making this show. Like we worked for months before the first episode ever came out. Literally months. We, we put, I think almost we put, we worked more on it before it was a live show because we just want everything to be right. It's just like if you're like painting a house or painting a car or something, 99% of the work should be in the prep. I, I fully credit that with I fully credit that with why we have a, a good show now is because we actually like put the thought into it beforehand. Yeah, and like now that now that the show's coming out and you know I'm, I'm seeing people starting to w- listen every week and have a comment back every week. Um, it's so validating of the hard work that we've done and of the way that you know I've tried to to be honest and open with people who are listening when I'm telling my story. It's so validating to, to be getting the feedback that we are. 
this is your story that we're telling and people identify with it. Right. And that it's um it's very nice to get that kind of feedback when it is my story and I can, you know, and this is I can tell it however I want to tell it because this is my story and it belongs to me. But I'm trying to do it in the most appropriately vulnerable way in the most honest way that I can and um you know, being truthful about what I say about other people. And I'm, I'm really trying to tell my story with integrity and journalistic integrity and to get to get such good feedback. It's wonderful. So I've noticed something that I didn't really expect to see. Um, I have related groups of friends who want to make group messages with me to discuss each episode as it comes out. So like three people that I all know from the same social circle. And they all want to like get with me in this group, which is totally fun right now. But it's not going to be long term sustainable because I already spend all day on Tuesday answering messages and talking to people. And that's again, it's so much fun. But I know that is not going to last forever. So I'm also hearing feedback from friends like I was discussing your episode with so and so. And because of these these messages that I'm getting, we were thinking it's time to start a Facebook group for episode discussion. We are still working on a name for the group, but by the time this comes out, we'll either edit it in or post it on our social media channels so that you can join this group on Facebook and we'll have a discussion group there. In case you are, uh, those of you who are listening on are not aware, I am a Jewish man. I am a very Jewish man. I am so Jewish that I will argue with anybody even when I agree with them. I have personally experienced this. No doubt. (laughs) However, for this episode, for the sake of creating an enjoyable yet educational piece of content for everybody who listens to the podcast, I have decided that I am going to pretend that I am not currently (laughs) highly satisfied with my current religious belief system. And we are going to pretend that I want to eat pork cheeseburgers, lobster thermidor, and that Judaism isn't doing it for me. I mean, so when you think of a completely hypothetical conversion, apparently the food is the first thing on your mind. Well, isn't food how you guys go about recruiting people? So, I mean, who, who are you referring to as you guys? Team Jesus. Team Jesus. <laughs> Team Jesus. Team JC. JC. So- <laughs> JC. You've never heard Sco of Utah. JC. Sco JC. Sco J- That's the, the sports champ for Team Jesus. Okay. Um, They've got great songs. Their fight song, Onward Christian Soldiers. You know that? How do you know that? I, I don't know the song. I'm familiar with the existence of the song. I just thought it, of it the is first a pretty thing. decent song. It's fun on piano because it's got a, a rolling bass line. Like, oh, do, I love do, a rolling do, bass line. Do, 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 I don't do. know. I, I don't know. Wait, is that meow mix? No, it's do, like do, 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 do. onward, Christian, please deliver. That's what it sounded <laughs> like. When you were I guess it is the same chord structure. Wow. Meow Mix. Meow Mix is uh, 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 part of this uh, secret Jesus. It is a it is a um a full step non chromatic walk down from do repeating. Oh, okay. Yes. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that is the baseline. And now I hear it. Great. Okay. Um. <laughs> but no, I was gonna say like you've never experienced leaving like leaving a religion and having to pick a new one. But I have, because when I was in the process of leaving the IFB, I realized that if I chose to be religious in the future, 
that I would be able to choose anything in the world. So personally, I was kind of in like agnostic limbo for about three years. And then I felt like I had a handle on which direction I wanted to go. So because you have had to choose a new religion, you are clearly the perfect person to guide me through this fictional decision. (laughs) And I just want to specify that this is a fictional decision because I know that there's some IFB spies listening to this podcast who saw the title (laughs) and who who are going to try to convert me all sneaky like and i just want you to know that that's not what this is i do not want any of you sliding into my instagram dms asking me if i've heard the good news (laughs) listen (laughs) see i'm pretty sure at this point in the show there's more chance of an ifb person reconverting me than being able to successfully convert you which is to say, I, I don't think it's happening. They'll try. I mean, they find out you're Jewish. Oh, man, it's like being the hot girl at the bar. So <laughs> you have, like, you've mentioned this, and I still find it so hard to understand like just how real that is for you. Oh, it's hilarious. As a word, I can't say on the radio, but it's, it's real. <laughs> no, I feel like at, one, at some point, I'm going to teach you the back end of how these people, like the script. So like, Ooh. imagine talking to a telemarketer, but you have their script in front of you. I can do that. Yeah. I can do that for you with the IFB, like witnessing script. It is like a telemarketer, though. It is pretty much a pretty a complicated, memorized telemarketing script. But I can teach you how to hack the script and make them go in the wrong direction and trip over themselves. So that sounds um, incredible. At some point, we're gonna we'll do that for like an episode or a Patreon or something because I'll teach you how to hack it, like and how to make them say funny things. <laughs> Yeah, and I would absolutely love to learn this biblical jiu-jitsu from you. And I say jiu-jitsu, like J-E-W jitsu. And I did want to say, that is a little bit mean to, like, you know, make somebody say funny things and, like, try to mess up their script. Uh, I only find it acceptable because they're trying to convert somebody from a completely different religion who has expressed no desire to convert. I have no desire to convert. However, for the sake of this, let's say that I'm looking for a new religion. I'm drafting you, Sadie, onto Team Jesus. You're my first round pick, okay? Um, So it's your... I should be. Clearly, you're the best option. Um, Yeah. MVP in college. Uh, It's... it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's your job to bring me to jesus and it doesn't matter which denomination it's your job to bring him into my life (laughs) i'm sorry it's so funny to hear you say that words that you never thought (laughs) (laughs) now that we're aware that this is a hypothetical conversion uh we're gonna look for like so you want to find out like what basically what christian denomination or group would work for you i guess so um, and I'm just going to say this straight up. I know very little about Christian denominations, but I figured out that this would be a great opportunity for you to teach me about all of them. Yeah. I know that there is the Catholics and that there is the Protestants and that the evangelicals are part of the Protestants. And that's pretty much it. That's okay. all I got. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's going to be boring if I just try to like go denomination by denomination and tell you like what's what yeah that sounds like a class that i wouldn't want to take i mean i could teach that class off the top of my head but do yeah, we but really need to take it no no this is this is enter edutainment why this- do we have half of the listens on this podcast episode so i don't know <laughs> so what i'll do instead let's just go let's talk about some different factors like actual things that like impact you about a religion 
Uh, okay. And then I'll walk you through like different options. The first thing that came to mind, I know that we bo- we both currently practice religions where there is some amount of fasting days. There's some feast days. Uh, I know I've heard you talk about different fasts, like one where you can't eat bread or grain at all. And then other days that are totally fasting. And you don't seem it doesn't seem to bother you that bad. I mean, we complain about it, but it's not a big deal. We just, but we complain about everything. So, so a religion that has like occasional fasting wouldn't be an issue. Nah, no problem. I can do, I can do fasting. No problem. Okay. Does it make more sense to you to do it on like on particular special days, like every Friday during Lent? Or would you prefer it being more like you're expected to fast sometimes, but you get to choose when? How long is Lent? Uh, Lent is 40 days, but not including Sundays. So that's 46 days. So it's six Fridays in a row. So for Lent specifically, you would need to pick something to give up for the entire 40 days with cheat days on Sundays. And for that, most people pick a simple vice like beer, chocolate or television or like anything that you might give up for like dry January or I'm going to do a month without whatever. So I could like give up Instagram for Lent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I gave up ice cream one year. So it's just something like small. Some people do something bigger, but most people just do something small that they do give up for the entire duration of Lent, like a daily thing that reminds you to pray instead of ice cream, eating ice cream or scrolling Instagram or whatever. But on Sundays, I could post all the thirst traps I want. Yes, but only on Sundays. And the rest of the week, you have to stay off Instagram. Okay. And then in addition to that, during Lent, uh, on Fridays, you don't eat meat at all. And you're only allowed one regular, like normal size meal. And then you get two smaller meals or snacks. So it's not totally going hungry. It's just having less for the day. In addition to whatever you're wait, giving up the whole month. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's what you guys call a fast? Yeah. So twice a year, I have to go from sundown to sundown with no food, no water. Ooh. You guys actually, okay. Yeah, no food and no Yom Kippur and Tisha Is that safe? Well, if you have complications from it, if there's some reason why you can't do it, then you're excused. Oh, okay. You guys exercise reasonable portion control for one day a week. (laughs) And then that's somehow fasting. Yeah, those are the Catholic rules. And then you also, you don't even have to do it if you're a baby or old or pregnant or sick. Does it make sense now, though, like why I speak of Lent as like, it's a time of extra prayer and gratitude. And it's not something that I really dread doing. I feel like remembering the rules, like remembering, oh, yeah, it's Friday. I can't eat meat today. I feel like that's harder than the actual whatever you're giving up for a lot of people. Catholicism. The last bastion of the Roman Empire. But as far as religious traditions go, um, I do like things where, you know, they maybe feel a bit ancient. They have that, you know, that sturdiness that that, that they evoke a, a grounded type of feel. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think there are some points to be given out for every thousand years that your religion has been in, been in existence. <laughs> Just like Formula One does with like Ferrari. No, to be honest, though, the traditionalism is something that appeals to me about Catholicism, like the deep uh, traditional roots and the way that the service is very like traditional and solemn. That's really calming to me. So if you don't mind Lent at all, I mean, it, it sounds fine. like it sounds easy to you. Well, so denominations that that do practice Lent or that like give or take a few rules, that would be 
Catholics, obviously, but also Episcopalians. That's the American branch of the Anglican Church of England. Uh, Lutherans, most Methodists, most Presbyterians. So yeah, basically the older and more traditional Christian denominations. Yeah, so I've done Yom Kippur, I've done Tisha B'Av, I was vegetarian for 20 years of my life, I don't eat pork, shellfish, cheeseburgers, I can manage no meat on Fridays. Yeah, I feel like this would this would not, not, not be, really not be an issue for you. Um, yeah. If you wanted more of a challenge with fasting, like Baptist or evangelical fasting is probably more your speed, honestly. Huh. So, Baptists in particular encourage that you fast regularly. Most churches won't tell you when or how long you have to do it, but everybody is expected to do it sometime. For most Baptist churches, fasting is only water. So, you can do like huh. one meal. Like, you know, I'm just not going to eat between breakfast and dinner today. Uh, but it's more common to do like 24 hours midnight to midnight. So, there was actually this whole trend when I was coming up in the IFB to fast for like much longer periods of time. And as far as I know, um, this was popularized by Jack Scopp because he claimed that he was doing all of these like 21 day fasts, like only water for 21 days. That is not okay. I'm going to say this for everybody listening to this. That is not fasting. That is promoting anorexia. And if it's true, which I highly doubt that this man went for 21 days without eating. He should really consider checking himself into a professional rehab facility for that because eating disorders are a plague on society that kill thousands of Americans every year. You know what? I am glad you said that. Just wanted to say that. Do not fast for 21 days, no matter what your religion is. Yeah, I I really I feel like it's a good thing you said that because it can be easy to forget that eating disorders do affect adults and they do affect men as like. Even like what we normally hear uh, is someone with an eating disorder. We normally think of a younger woman. Yeah, like a teenage girl. That's what you expect. Right. But that's not necessarily the the entire scope of things. So I think it's good to say that. So Scott did popularize, though, these these 21 day or 40 day fasts because there are several. Well, there's Bible passages that mention people doing these longer fasts. Like I think Daniel did one. uh, But but JC was also you know, said to go go into the desert and fast for 40 days. So because Scott was the leader, it became really popular to attempt this. So Scott had his own son and many of the men on his staff doing like a 21 day fast every year and like attempting these 40 day fasts. And a lot of people didn't make it through because they ended up in the hospital. Of course they didn't make it. Fasting for 21 days is so stupid. And I just want to point out to everybody listening to this, that every reasonable religion that has fasting or specific dietary restrictions like Judaism, Islam, like for Ramadan, non-insane branches of Christianity, they all say that you should not fast if there is an undue hardship or if it will have especially bad effects on your health. So if you're dealing with an eating disorder or if you're like diabetic, they're not going to tell you to fast for religious purposes because, yeah, that like... I just want to point that out to everyone out there. So this man, Jack Scott is a crazy person and he just. Well, yes. So it does turn out that God will speak to you if you go that long without eating, uh, which is called hallucinations. Uh, And it also turns out that you will eventually hit a limit. So most people, a lot of people who did those really long ones just restricted 
solid food and then they allowed themselves fruit juice or, or juiced vegetables or in one case that I know of someone who allowed himself to continue drinking Pepsi during his entire uh, Pepsi. I don't know. That guy did 21 or more. Did you know that the real reason why Gandhi was on a hunger strike is because he asked for Coke and they said, is Pepsi okay? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, understandable. Kylie Jenner handing a Pepsi to Gandhi. Well, he's on a hunger strike. That's what I'm imagining right now. Right. Well, after enough incidents of heart palpitations and emergency room visits and and no, so so people people got sick and then people also got very ill. Well, also people didn't properly refeed because these are like hyper masculine IFB men that we're talking about, like this like macho men. So they wouldn't properly refeed. They would like get off a 21 day fast or more and just like immediately go eat a cheeseburger and some Doritos. And so people got really, really sick because of that. I am telling you, I have seen this happen in front of my eyes. But these these longer fasts, they fell out of popularity. And people started doing the Daniel fast instead, which is a much better idea because you basically just eat like beans, simple grains, vegetables, and you only drink water. So my roommate does that anyway. Good for um, them. But I digress because... I think it's pretty clear from this podcast that I have no intention of converting to IFB or pretty much any Baptist denomination for that matter. Okay, fair enough. But but other than fasting traditions, like what other factors do you think we need to look at? Like when when we're helping you choose a hypothetical new religion? Okay, well, let's see. Um, So the way I see religion and like practice is... I I see it as a situation where I am approaching religion from a position of mental and emotional security. I know my worth as a person, and I want a tradition that is fully aware of its own worth so that we can embark on this journey together. So I don't want a religion that is going to like go out of its way to try to pander to me. I don't want a religion that is like going to try to bend over backwards that is like hip or rad or with it. So if I go to a service and I hear a Mumford and Sons knockoff singing about Jesus, I'm out. If there is clergy that will go up to the kids like Steve Buscemi style, like, how do you do, fellow kids? What (laughs) if I told you that Jesus was the original fidget spinners? (laughs) <laughs> so like the uh, the recently released devotional book that tries to make the Bible relatable to Generation Z, you probably didn't hear about this, did you? I, I did not hear about this. Okay, so this devotional book, uh, they try to make the Bible relatable to Generation Z. So they refer to God as Cap G, and they refer to Jesus as Big J. They think that's how people talk. There's some like uh, there. There's a Jewish publication, whatever, that has like that, that has like a show that they do on Instagram or whatever, like a video that they do on Instagram, and it's called "And God Was Like." And I watched like half of one episode of like a few, th- and they're like, "God sent a text message down to Moses," and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm out. I'm done. You don't need to. You don't need to like it's." It's good enough on its own. You don't like if you have a good burger, you don't need to put the, the like blue cheese and gruyere on it. That is exactly what this like teen devotional is trying to do. It's uh, like uh since day uno there was Cap G. Big G Big J was chilling with Cap G and 
Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> the language in Genesis is iconic. Why would you change that? Because you're trying to be like so relatable to teenagers and you think that this is for some insane reason, you think this is how teenagers talk. <sighs> but okay. I mean, Moses, Moses yeeted the sea. He, so okay, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> Moses yeeted the sea. And this is just me, but there is one Bible one Bible story that goes really well with that kind of like modernized language. Uh, it's this uh, the story of the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer. Because it, it goes really well. I'll tell. I have a modernized version that I more or less wrote. Um, it, it's it's real. That's like one Bible story. I feel like is excusable because it's really funny. So the one thing is, I am a Taurus. Okay, I was born in May. I want something that is rooted. <laughs> I want something that is concrete. That is me. That is right. what I want. And and all jokes aside, I think that totally makes sense why that wouldn't be appealing to you. Not at all. That does bring up something I wanted to say real quick, because I know we probably have a lot of listeners that go to these non-denominational Christian churches because they are they are meaningful and healing to a lot of my friends who are former IFB. I wanted to talk about really, really quickly what I think the appeal is to those people that do love the the coffee style, like the coffee shop church, you know, the the guys in like man buns are like barefoot worship leaders and like people in skinny jeans on the platform. There's so many people that, that love church like that. And I, f- I think I know why it is. So I want to say it on the podcast and see if our listeners who do go to that type of churches, like more modern or charismatic churches, I want you to, to write me and tell me if I'm wrong. I think the appeal is that they feel like they're tapped into this spiritual energy of a God who is present and active in today's world. In my opinion, the more traditional, like quiet, somber, solemn churches, like the doctrinal beliefs that they have are more about subtle miracles and quiet signs of God's love and God's work. You know, it's a belief in a God who works in a steady, predictable way, almost 100% behind the scenes. And these churches that are more outward in worship, they tend to believe in big miracles and visible acts of God, a dynamic God who responds directly to individual prayer, even on small things like, Lord, please help me get a parking space. Again, this is totally just my theory, but I think that whether you like a more solemn, quiet, traditional service, or whether you want to raise your hands and and jump up and down and worship, and why those groups of people tend to be so separate, I, and this is just my opinion, but I think it goes back to a difference in how you perceive God and how active God is or is not in our daily lives and in the small things. See, that's the thing, is that the more we've gotten into somebody like Jack Hiles, the more like that constant need to impress the congregants is with like supposed miracle after miracle. Like to me, it reads as if it's coming from a place of insecurity. Like it reads it. You know, that one friend that we've all got who constantly feeling the need to come up with like crazy stories because without the yeah. stories, he doesn't think that he's worth hanging out with. Um, Cause he doesn't think he brings anything to the table. That's how it reads to me is that if you're constantly like, and God like struck this dude with the car and his brains came out and this guy put him in a jar. Like that type of thing to me, I'm just like, like is your words aren't good enough. So you need to like either scare or like make some stuff up to bait people into coming. That's how that reads to me. Yeah. And when it's the, when it's the spooky, like, like holding things over people's head, it definitely does come off like that. And and while I think like a huge percentage of people who who lead or attend these 
praise and worship style churches are totally sincere. I think people like Hiles and other IFB preachers use this desire that a lot of people have to see miracles. Again, this this looking for miracles was popularized in the 1970s by certain TV preachers. But I think some people like to use that desire to draw people to themselves as leaders. I think it's related, like the idea that God is super involved in your daily life from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. I think that's related to this more like outward effusive style of praise praise and worship at church. We've ruled out Baptist and we've ruled out New Age non-denominational Christianity. Which Pokemon has Team Jesus got left for the match? I mean, me, I do think you'd enjoy Catholicism. And so there are a couple of reasons why. Like, I mean, our fasting days are just going to be easy peasy for you, as already discussed. We also have that very quiet and traditional service, which is one of my favorite parts because it's almost exactly the same every time. And it's very meditative. Uh, and then we've also talked about some of the more unusual Catholic traditions. And I think the whole sainthood thing is a source of fascination for you, if I'm not reading you wrong. Well, I'm fascinated because you sent me like, you can buy <laughs> physical pieces of dead saints on the internet for like $38, which is weird. So you totally can. A first class relic is a piece of a saint's body or, or or their blood or their ha- hair or a fingernail or a tooth or even like um I think a first cl- class relic can also be something that they personally owned and wore. I, I wouldn't say that that's like a source of fascinating. I would say that it's like some weird thing that you sent to me and I'm like, what? Well, I sent, well, you've asked me questions about sainthood before, but I sent you that. I sent you a, a Padre Pio relic that you can buy. And um, now your eBay recommendations are full of saints. It's true. It used to just be watches. I liked seeing watches, but now it's. You know what? Saints, That's fine yeah. because all of my targeted ads are stuff that we, you know. I send you some Jewish thing and then it'll get targeted to you. So now they want you to buy Jewish stuff. My Facebook thinks I'm Jewish. It sends me. Uh, here's the thing. Okay, I'm I'm Christian and I'm also married. And Facebook, for some reason, really thinks I'm planning a Jewish wedding. I don't know why. All your targeted ads are like they're like here's a canopy, here's a, a chair that you can easily lift for the. I am dead serious. I got a targeted ad for a website. Uh, everything you need to plan a perfect Jewish wedding. Send that to me. I'm single, but I'll still. Well, I- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so another thing that Catholics have that will not show up in your targeted ads and bother you is a huge portion of the catalog of classical music. Um, My church has a giant pipe organ and a very good choir and wonderful organists. So the music there is is really a pleasure. If you know about me, listeners, if uh, you know that I have studied classical voice, opera, and choral music, And I spent about a decade of my life doing that pretty seriously. So I think that I can say that when it comes to church music, that the Catholics definitely have that one in the bag. You know, I've sung tons of Bach. I've sung the Brahms Requiem. Uh, That's a solid piece right there. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, in high school, when we would practice sight reading at the start of choir rehearsal, we would often like be given a recycled hymnal from a Catholic church that you know, we just use that to uh, practice sight reading because it would have four parts in it. Have you sung? Um, have you sung Handel's Messiah? I have sung George Frederick Handel's Messiah. It is a gorgeous piece of music, and performing the Messiah is an opportunity that only a small number of people 
have the pleasure of experiencing. So I am truly thankful for that. Also, the Baroque period of music continues to be a musical inspiration for me, especially when I'm writing harmonies, because, you know, all that counterpoint stuff. Yeah. As it should be. As it should be. Unfortunately, a lot of Catholic churches have moved away from traditional hymns, like when the congregation is singing, because there were all these melodies that were rewritten in the 60s and 70s. The goal was making it vocally easier for the congregation to sing. And that's a little disappointing to me. Yeah, I don't like that. Give me my hymns in Latin or not at all. Don't at me. I mean, it's really not my preference either, especially because what I wind up doing is singing traditional words that I know with a different melody that I don't know. Mm, And that and that bugs me. Um, We do still get the benefit of the organ with the super traditional classical music prelude and postlude. And then we also have the choir. So at my church. The choir is so good at diversity because you they do traditional hymns, they do spirituals, uh, they also do true like straight up Latin classical pieces. So that's not too bad. I, I do like the Latin classical ones. Those are always usually really pretty. It's really not and and they do um, you know, around Easter and Christmas we get all these like super awesome uh, choral pieces. You can also you also need to consider while we're on the topic of, of church and church music, another major selling point of Catholicism. And what is that? Pray tell. You're <laughs> only expected to go to one service a week, and that service is only about fifty five minutes long, maybe an hour. Man, that's shorter than an episode of like Top Gear. Oh yeah. Yeah, so what time is mass though? Because Sundays are the days that I watch Formula One racing. Um and that's usually like six AM because it's in Europe. So like, do I have to like, what time do I have to get up to do that? Oh, that's actually another like super great thing. So at a larger Catholic church, like the cathedral uh, where I attend, there's usually a mass every day and then like two or more on Sunday. So pre-COVID, my church had mass every weekday at 7 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. And then on Saturday evening at 5.30 and then on Sunday at 9 o'clock a.m. and 11 o'clock a.m. So Saturday or Sunday is preferred but any day counts as you went to church that week. So you can go daily if you want, or you can go twice a week or whatever, but it's totally optional. You really only have to do that. What is that? Like 13 or 14 services. You really only have to do one of those per week. So I could watch the race and qualifying and I wouldn't have any problems with scheduling. Yeah. It's honestly really convenient to find a time to go. So I guess that gives another meaning to the phrase convenient Catholic. Oh, but um. But I guess the commandment of keep the holy the Lord's day can mean whatever you want it to. Well, a lot of things can mean whatever you want it to if you're a modern Catholic. Yeah. However, (laughs) we have to discuss the elephant in the room, which is confession. So confession is one of those things. Um, Catholics used to hold tight to going every week, but that's really not the done thing anymore. Like really, people hardly do it. You're asked to go like at least once a year. They would prefer that you do it more often, but really hardly anybody does. And the church is just like not really willing to push the issue on that. So here's the thing, though, is that if I'm converting to Catholicism, I'd have to confess a lot of stuff. And I mean, like, (laughs) a lot of stuff to get my slate clean to begin with. So, like, what sort of thing is usually considered serious enough that I'd need to confess to doing it? You you need to confess any sin that you do, but what you're actually asking about, I think, is the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. Yeah, so what's the difference there? So I'm a pretty new Catholic, but I'm going to explain this the best I can. 
So a mortal sin is a sin so serious that it separates you from fellowship with God, which would send you to hell without intervention. So like something that's prohibited by the Ten Commandments, like, you know, murder, that would be a mortal sin. A mortal sin also has to be done on purpose with the full knowledge that it is a sin and that you are doing it. So you cannot commit a mortal sin on accident or out of ignorance. So you could be an accidental adulterer? Well, if you did that without the knowledge that it was a sin, like without, so it's not what you're doing, it's the rebellion in your heart. It's the fact that you're saying, I know that this is wrong and I'm deciding to do it anyway. So what about a venial sin? So a venial sin is a sin that's not that serious. It's not, like, it's not bad enough to break your relationship with God. It's okay. like, it's, it's bad enough to, it's a, it's an issue, but it's not, you know, it's not bad enough that you are separated from God. So, okay. So for a mortal sin, you have to confess the specific details and each time. So if you murder somebody, you have to confess the specific details of that murder. And like, if you've murdered more than one person, you have to discuss the specific details of each one of those murders Oof. to a priest and get forgiveness before you receive communion because murder is a mortal sin. But if you committed a venial sin, like petty theft or cheating on a test or flipping somebody off in traffic, you don't have to confess before receiving communion because you're not considered to be out of fellowship with God. You do need to confess eventually, but it can also be more vague. You don't have to tell the priest about every single person that you've ever flipped off in traffic. You don't have to say, I did it on Friday at 4.59 p.m. I did it on Monday at 7 a.m. keep a log of that, man. You don't have to do that. You can just say, I flipped some people off in traffic. Maybe you should tell me where this falls. Is that Okay. One time in college, I was at a party at my friend Peter's house, and we were playing a game of what are the odds, and he dared me to eat a spider. So I went outside and we grabbed a big spider off of like this wall and I swallowed it whole and chased it with a shot of Crown Royal. How many Hail Marys do I have to say to get absolved of doing that? Is that a, is that a sin? I don't, I don't see how that's a sin. I think that's just college. <laughs> if it's not a sin, then it definitely <laughs> should be. But you know, like if if that's the kind of stuff that I can get away with, then maybe Catholicism is the religion for me. You know, it's looking better and better and better every minute. I mean, that's only so as far as I can tell, that's only a sin if drinking is a sin. And Catholics certainly don't believe that. I mean, personally, I enjoy Crown Royal, so I feel kind of bad that a shot of that got wasted on a spider, but I don't think it's a sin. Crown Royal is also nice because they give you a little bag to keep stuff in. That's true. Uh, I like the purple ones, but the green ones are also kind of classy. See, the sign of a true gentleman is anybody that uses a Crown Royal bag as a wallet. So, okay. (laughs) Ladies, if you are listening to this, find yourself a man who does this and you will never be undisappointed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, as far as I'm aware... Uh, Catholics don't really prescribe endless Hail Marys for sins anymore. It's more of a voluntary thing uh, at this point, I think. But also, do you know how short a Hail Mary is? If I'm playing Madden, my strategy when I play Madden is to do only Hail Mary trips every play because it's uh, and it's always like 20 yards at least. But like usually it's like a lot more. It's like 40. Yeah, I was going to say 20 yards. That's If that's a Hail Mary, I feel bad for you and your team. But seriously, the, a Hail Mary takes like 15 seconds to say. They're really not that laborious. So I get through. So a rosary is 
50 Hail Marys and uh, what is it? Five or six Our Fathers and like quite a few other prayers all in between. And I can do that in like 20 minutes, 22 minutes total. Not too bad. That's like a Simpsons episode. Yeah. You do it while you're watching The Simpsons. Uh, you could. It's probably not real good for your meditation, but I suppose you could. <laughs> um, but no, like a big spiritual feat is doing a rosary every night for nine nights in a row. So like the expectations are really not that high. It's 20 minutes. Interesting. Yeah, so, it seems like we've got a contender here. Catholicism, who would have thought it? They persecuted my people for years and years and years and years, you know, with the Inquisition and all of that. But yeah, but like, like they're onto something. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. They got around to it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. No, <laughs> uh, I have one other favorite thing about Catholicism to share. So they don't expect you to agree with the church on everything. And they also don't feel like they have to dictate your beliefs on everything. For example, the church has no official stance on creation versus evolution, and they officially accepted evolution as a possibility in 1950. Interesting. Yeah, they're like science and a healthy amount of not needing to control every belief. That's always a plus for me. And if you know me, you can predict that there are some things that I straight up do not agree with the Catholic Church on. That should be pretty obvious if you know me. But my priest and my teachers in the church, they assured me that I don't have to support the church's view on, say, gay marriage to to be a member. I don't have to feel like I'm endorsing their view on that. Like, yeah. I can have my own view because that's not something they consider essential. Okay. So, speaking of, how important is it to you that your church support gay marriage? So, for me, that's like 10 out of 10 because um, I, I'm not joining any religious tradition that discriminates against LGBT people. Oh, so you also want women to be able to lead a congregation then? I, I guess that's a deal breaker too okay so this is probably gonna make you part ways with the catholic church you know, for like me it. yeah see for me like i i think these things are going to change in my lifetime and since i don't you know i don't have to give money uh, my church doesn't require me to give money to organizations that support ideals that i don't hold they don't expect right. me to you know vote a certain way or behave a certain way in my personal life so it's not a deal breaker for me i can do my activism in the time that i save by only going to church one hour a week <laughs> <laughs> but i i respect that being a deal breaker for you i think it's just as well though because i don't think that it would be a good idea for me to join a religion that says that it's okay to eat spiders on a dare oh my gosh so who, <laughs> who knows what kind of trouble i would get into <laughs> <laughs> well, I still have some denominations that would work. So let's do let's do a couple more questions. Okay. Okay, so here's one. Do you want to be friends with the people who sit next to you in church on Sunday? Like, do you want to have their cell phone numbers, get invited over for the barbecue? So, like, 70% of my friends right now are people that I know from Jewish stuff. So I feel like that's important. Ooh. So I feel like this is going to make my job a little bit harder because I really thought I, I knew what direction I was going for you. The problem is you really like these more formal churches, but the more formal a church is, the less friendly they are typically. So it's not like anybody would ever be rude to you, but like you, you might just like know the first name of the person who sits next to you and never have like a, a real conversation or know them outside of church. So you know what? What? I don't need any new friends. If you if you know me, like you'll know this is true. I only ever have like five friends at once, and I wear indoor sunglasses a lot so that people won't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so it seemed like you really had things picked out for me. So I'd just like to to see what you've got for me to offer. So that's not a deal breaker. 
So I think I have two places picked out that you might fit in really well. Uh, let me let me do the runner up first, and then I'll also like give you the reasoning behind the know your fellow members question. Okay. So please do. So the runner up, believe it or not, was the United Methodist Church. Um, a lot of Methodist churches are a little more socially conservative than I would place you, but there are plenty of individual congregations who line up with the values that you've stated. Uh, the UMC has allowed women to be clergy for over 50 years, which Ooh, is pretty respectable. That is respectable. Second best on my list, I think. And if you've ever seen King of the Hill, the Hill family are Methodist and have a female pastor in that show. I would go to a barbecue at Hank Hill's house anytime. The man <laughs> knows how to cook a steak. He knows how to cook a burger. So if, if Hank Hill's the kind of guy... Oh, yeah. So in my opinion, Hank Hill is a very typical Methodist. He enjoys a beer, but he he doesn't get wasted. He loves his family. He respects God. He's he's a little old fashioned, but he has a good heart. And if he finds out that one of his views harms somebody else, then he's willing to change his view. He's just a little, you know, a little bit of, of an old fashioned guy. You know, that doesn't bother me at all. Seems he seems like good people. Uh, really, really, truly. And the Methodists are fairly traditional in service structure. Um, some larger Methodist churches, like in a big city, might be nearly as formal as a Catholic church. Although the okay. order, so the order of service and like the communion rules and how that goes down are going to be different. And they also don't do the classical music so much. They would sing like traditional hymns in English. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a bummer, but... Yeah, but Methodists are also, like, the most friendly and community-oriented church that I've ever experienced. There are just potluck dinners and church functions designed for you to meet the other members. Like, they are just so friendly and just so outgoing. I feel like... That's lovely. I feel like Methodists are the nicest people you will ever meet. Wow. Okay. So the only thing that wouldn't fit is their current stance on gay marriage. But it's like, it's changing. It's a little bit complicated. Oh, okay. so like, what's going on with that? So the issue on the table is that about half or a little over half of Methodists have no problem with gay marriage being sol- solemni- solemnized. <laughs> Is that the word? Solemnized? It is. It's hard to say, though. <laughs> being, because uh, you can say wedding being performed, but you can't say marriage being performed. You can't say marriage being solemnized. Oh, okay. So it's like one of those pedantic things. Okay. Yeah. But most, most Methodists have no problem with having gay weddings in their churches or with ordaining LGBT clergy. Uh, many more Methodists would not prefer to do that in their own personal church, this one church that I attend, but they don't mind if other Methodists do. So there's a minority that opposes any gay weddings happening at any Methodist churches and any Mm. gay clergy at any Methodist churches anywhere, but that's a minority. And so they have like the same tired, boring arguments that most Christians who are against gay marriage have. Few Bible verses and a big old rant about how it's bad for society. In my opinion, and this may be a little bit controversial to say on the radio um in my opinion if you want a full biblical traditional marriage then you really should be pushing for polygamy to come back oh my (laughs) maybe that's a controversial take i don't know once again well anyway uh you know biblical marriage was also usually an arranged marriage with you know the wife being as young as 12 So that's also kind of uncool. Biblical traditional marriage is a part of the world that we no longer live in. 
because it no longer exists. Because a world where you were getting married because you were picking grain in this dude's field and he shared a blanket with you. And that is a love story for the ages. For sure. So here's here's the issue with, with the Methodist gay marriage thing. Um, the Methodist convention uh, met in Portland, actually, a couple of years ago, and was asked to vote for one of three things. Number one, no gay marriage in the church, period. Number two, all the all the gay marriage in all the churches. So, like, all Methodist churches should be required to perform gay weddings if they're requested to. Well, option number three, which was pretty popular, each individual pastor can decide with their congregation what their congregation wants to do. So, if your congregation is against having gay weddings in your church, that's okay, but you can't stop the Methodist church down the road from doing them. For some stupid reason, the General Assembly couldn't agree on one of these options. And you had really two decent options. Because, like, that's, you know, option number three. That's not my preference, but that is better than where you started. I mean, that's, that's like, people are like, oh, religious freedom, religious freedom. You stop to, like... That's like that in a nutshell, but they're just like, I want the freedom to. Right. It's not like, like, because for why is it not enough that you can decide with your own church, like whose wedding you do and don't want to do? Yeah. And if you don't like it, you can pick a different church. Right. So anyway, uh, it looks like the Methodist denomination is going to split into two or more distinct denominations over this issue because it was like, it was such a big deal. A sort of methexit. (laughs) <laughs> yes and at this time there's there's no resolution oh to that. so it's a no deal myth exit <laughs> so far and, and it's really a toss-up whether this or actual brexit is going to take longer because Didn't brexit already happened i don't know and- we have a pandemic they're like oh the economy is going to crash and then everybody's economy crashed anyway <laughs> I uh, see. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I don't. I just this Methodist drama has already been ongoing for a couple of years. Like when I was employed by a Methodist church, which ended in 2016 when I moved to Portland, it was already brewing. This trouble was already brewing back then, and there is still no no resolution. So, anyway, that's like the one the one thing that I that I feel like. Anyway, um, I have two other options for you. Okay, hit me. So I do think the Episcopal Church would be a good option for you. Pretty much Catholic, but way more progressive on social issues and less Mary. Not zero Mary, but but less. So the Episcopal Church, that's like um, the American version of the Church of England. Yeah. So you've got almost all the formality of a Catholic mass, but the person presiding over that mass might be a woman or a queer person. In fact, the first gay man to be ordained in the Episcopal Church pastors right here in Portland. That's good to know. It is wonderful. LGBT people deserve the same rights as everybody else. Yes. That should not be a controversial thing. That's not a controversial thing to say. I don't know why I would think that's a controversial thing to say. That's probably like the least controversial thing that I can say. Unless you're IFB. Yep. (laughs) Unless you're IFB, but they're so. I mean, I I stand by that. I I don't mind saying that publicly. Anyway, uh, Episcopalians and Catholics also share the idea that it's possible to be a Christian and also believe in science. So the current leader of the Church of England said recently that evolution should not or that um, that that creationism should not be taught in schools. Interesting. Yeah. So nice. 
Yeah. So one other major difference that I wanted to point out between the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church um, is open communion. And this is like where you get to some of the really big doctrinal differences between Catholics and Protestants. In the Catholic Church, you are only supposed to receive communion if you have been baptized in any Christian church and specifically become a member of the Catholic Church. Mm. In the Episcopal Church, you can receive communion if you're a baptized Christian, regardless of what church or denomination you belong to. So they're not gatekeeping hipsters. Well, they don't believe in transubstantiation the way that Catholics do. I'm sorry. Trent is the belief that the the body and blood of Jesus are present in the wine and the bread at Eucharist or communion. Okay. So this is all this is all theological stuff that I'm just like whoosh. Right. So so they yeah. bless so before you before you receive before you eat that little little like it's like a little cookie like a it's like a Nilla wafer, kind of. Um, yeah. But before you eat that or before you drink the wine at communion, it's blessed. And some churches, um, namely Catholics, believe that there is a presence of actual God in there. So if you oh, believe okay. that that is a piece of God that you are putting in that person's mouth, you tend to be a lot more selective about who gets to eat it. Catholics are also paranoid about black mass. So they always think that Satanists are like trying to steal their cookies so that they can do a black mass with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, now I kind of want to steal their cookies and see what it's all it's about. It's very hard. Are they, that, are they that good? You know, uh, I'm not confirmed yet, so I don't know. You don't know. Okay. So it, it's very, very difficult to steal one. I'll tell you that. So Episcopalians are just more lax because they don't believe in full transubstantiation. Um, it is, it's just Catholics and then other small denominations that are like fringe groups of Catholics that believe in, in actual transubstantiation. The good news, though, on that front is that Episcopalians still do use actual wine for their communion. Oh, okay. So I've got to ask, because this is all sounding pretty promising. Oh, Yeah. What are the drawbacks here? Because Episcopalianism isn't the denomination that you picked out for me. It's like your runner-up. This is a close, a close second place. So this is like the Valtteri Botas to whatever you picked out, Lewis Hamilton. No idea what that is, but I believe you. As a church that was prominent in the American South in the early days of the United States, of course, the Episcopal Church does not have a great record on slavery, but very few Christian denominations do. And the question is, where are you now? Right. And like every Christian, every, and and like, this is what, this is one of my don't at me moments for this episode. Every Christian denomination has oppressed somebody. Like all of them, all of them have done terrible things, including the one that I go to. Usually it's the Jews that you've oppressed. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Jews, also women, also black people. Like, like you, you gotta have at least two if you're a Christian denomination of like people that you've seriously oppressed. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition except for the Jews. We always expect the Spanish Inquisition because trauma lives in our blood and is encoded in your DNA. (laughs) Am I allowed to laugh? you say that no but you know all christian denominations have repressed somebody somewhere the very best that you can hope for is a denomination that has changed and apologized or is in the process of doing so so um i'd say i'd say the catholic church has like very recently started to show some interest in changing and apologizing for things and and i sincerely hope and pray that that's going to continue 
in my lifetime, like the the standard of humility and willingness to change that I want to hold other Catholics around me to like, this is a standard I want to live up to. And this is what I expect other people to do like that. Anyway, my only other issue with Episcopalianism is that the church started because King Henry wanted to divorce. So the start of the whole thing is a little wild. I remember this from history class. Okay. So he want right. Wait, because he wanted the son, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, he wanted the son, and the Catholic Church wouldn't let him get a divorce because his like he had a kid, and the kid was a girl, uh-huh. and then he was like, "Clearly, my wife," because it, it clearly is my wife's problem. So, he, <laughs> so he starts like cutting cutting women's heads off. Right, that's that's close to right. He wanted a, a divorce from his very first wife, Catherine of Aragon, uh, with whom he had his first daughter, Mary. And Cath- uh, Catherine and both of her parents were very, very Catholic because she's a Spanish princess. Unfortunately, the Pope wouldn't give him a divorce. So he started his own offshoot church so that he could divorce her and marry Anne Boleyn. Wasn't Anne Boleyn a pirate? What? No, she was his second wife and the mother of Elizabeth I. She's the first one who got beheaded. Who am I thinking of? That? Who? Who is... Her name's Anne. She's a... Who am I thinking of? I think this has something to do with Blackbeard, but I am seriously not sure. Yes, this has... Uh, does... Okay. So, I, I do know how to remember Henry VIII's wives, though. Uh, it's very easy. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. I'm thinking of Anne Bonnie. That's who I'm thinking of. Not Anne Boleyn. Oh, uh, was Why she a pirate? I, yeah, she was a pirate, I think, in the Caribbean, like with Jack Sparrow. Oh, okay. Well, I think there might be one slightly better denomination for you. Slightly better. So, Episcopalian, that's like... Yeah, so this is... I am not really sure if you're going to like it more, but I have I have a feeling that you might. Uh, I originally looked into this because I know that somebody that you admire is a member of this denomination. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, and then I like looked a little more into it, and I think it might be a really good fit. So, I am very excited, but before we get to this, we are going to have to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to figure out what my new religion is going to be. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Gabrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. 
You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash leavingedenpodcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden Podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. All right. So you want to find out what your, what your new religion is? Yes, please, 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 please tell me. So I'm very excited. It turns out that the United Church of Christ is actually functionally pretty similar to the Episcopalian Church, but Barack Obama is a member. Is Michelle a member? So I checked, and yes, she is. So it actually, she sells her book through UCC bookstores. I like that. And book. some churches use her Let's Move curriculum. So I'd say she's involved with the denomination, not just a member. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Barack is all right. I mean, I voted for him, and I like him about as much as is possible to like any politician, by which I mean to say that I don't think that he's a completely terrible human being. But Michelle is a person that I feel like I can look up to. I mean, I agree. She She's wonderful. So I personally, I see a lot of reasons uh, to call her a Proverbs 31 woman, actually. What is a Proverbs 31 woman? Oh, because man. I am, I am not familiar with this term. So what this is going to need to be is an entire episode sometime. But in short, uh, Proverbs 31 is a chapter that talks about the ideal woman. And a lot of Christians will use that as a really high compliment to call somebody that. Okay. The chapter talks about a woman, okay, off the top of my head, uh, she's physically strong. She takes care of her business both at home and outside the home. She's balanced and kind, and she takes care of other people who, um, she takes care of people who some might, might overlook. And she is an asset to her husband's reputation, not because she's some kind of like supporting role in his life, but because her reputation is so good that it builds him up as well. So those are, that was just like off the top of my head, but those are the things that immediately click when I when I think about Michelle Obama. Well, her garden's quite nice as well. So that's in Proverbs 31 too. Uh, let's see if I can, yeah, I'm going to see if I can quote it off the top of my head. Um, she considers a field and buys it with her own hands. She plants a vineyard. So quite literal then. You know, I look up to Michelle Obama. I've got tomato plants and they're doing quite well. And I'm like, I feel like we'd have something to talk about. If you ever meet her. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like calling her a Proverbs 31 woman is going to get me so much crap from certain people. But I, I really think it, it fits well. Feel free to drop in a don't at me. Oh, I'll do more than that. <laughs> Miss me with racism and misogyny and don't at me. Stay out of her mentions. <laughs> yeah. So here's more good news. If Michelle Obama wanted to change careers and become a minister, she would be able to do that in the UCC since they support clergy of any gender as well as officiating all genders, all of them. All 800 genders. All seven million genders, seven billion genders. Yeah, <laughs> no, they they also officiate uh, LGBT weddings. The 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 um, United Church of Christ functions more like a hybrid between a denomination and a group of independent churches. So the denomination makes like very general rules, and then each church decides how it's going to function within those guidelines. So not every United Church of Christ congregation would have those progressive values, but the position of the governing body is pro all of that. The other good news, they were also active in the civil rights movement, like actually proactive. And before they were made to, they proactively made an apology to native Hawaiians after realizing their role in colonialism. 
Uh, they also have church bylaws that mandate including diverse members in their governing body. So this is all very promising stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do like it when religious organizations get involved in organizing for justice. But I've got to say, I was almost sure that you were going to tell me that I should be a Lutheran. Okay, why is that? Because they were one of the last Christian denominations that I could think of that we hadn't talked about yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sure you were. Uh, okay, I was pretty sure that you weren't going to make me a Jehovah's Witness or like LDS. There are like so many more denominations that I could have gone into. Like, I, to me, um, the Unitarian Universalist Church has a lot philosophically in common with how you describe Judaism. Okay, no. <laughs> hell no. Okay, hell no. I want one religion, not every religion all at once. Oh, that's understandable. Yeah, do you okay, do you want a hamburger, birthday cake and curry milkshake? Oh god. No. 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 I didn't so, I, I didn't think so. So so that's why I didn't choose them to actually bring up on on this episode. I do think as far as like social issues in general <laughs> no offense to anybody who's a member. Oh, UCC people. It's not for me. I mean, no, universe, Unitarian people are really cool. Like the people that I've met from that church are very, uh, just very rad people to be around. I think as far as social issues and like the general, I think the way that they believe about the character of like who or what God is, I think they match you super well. But okay. finding a congregation that has like formal services and finding a con- congregation that that doesn't lean too hard on the all religions bit is is going to be too difficult. It's not worth recommending yeah, to you. Whatever. I mean, hypothetically, I don't know. I'm still surprised you didn't make me. I, I'm Lutheran. Lutheran has so much in common. Like, so Lutheran has so much in common with um, Catholicism and Episcopalianism that like, there's not. They're like the original Protestants. Yes. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was like, I hate that we're selling indulgences where basically you can buy whatever you can. If you pay the church enough money, you can do whatever you want. Uh, which makes yeah. sense. Well, Martin Luther had quite a few other problems with the church as well, but we're going to have to do a whole episode on on the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, I do remember that from, from history class. However, I don't care for Ludafisk, so I don't think that I would be a good Lutheran. I don't think that's necessary. Like, I don't think they serve that instead of bread for communion. Or no. anything. No, isn't there a part where so G, like right? Jesus multiplies the fish, right? Yeah. Because like so that everybody has a fish. Jesus multiplies the fish, um, so that everybody has some. But then they accidentally made too much. They accidentally made too much, and then they had to save it for later. And that's where Ludafisk comes from. Okay, so there. Yes, there is a story about Jesus multiplying fish and having enough for five thousand people, and then having extra. I have no idea though about this weird connection. <laughs> Why else would they eat fish gelatin? Oh, wait. No, you said, listen, you have fish gelatin food, too. Like, you don't have Jesus, and you still have, like, what is that? What is, I'm sorry, what is that stuff? Are you talking, okay, are you talking about gefilte fish? Yes. Because it's not gelatin. It's, like, fish. If you took fish and made it into, like, a worse crab cake slash almost spongy bread. And it's also only consumed on like religious. So I, I literally cannot fathom eating it unless it was commanded by God. And even then, I'd only have like a tiny slice. <laughs> well, anyway, the difference between Methodist and Lutheran, Lutheran is more theological and less functional. So I think I'm mostly focused on on functional differences because I feel like you really don't care whether a denomination baptizes babies or children or whether they immerse or sprinkle 
Like, I feel like that isn't even going to matter to you in this conversation. Yeah, this is this is all just stuff that's like, oh, it's all like Christian stuff. I'm not like. Yeah. So like Presbyterians, for example, another really big denomination that we didn't mention much. They function much like a couple of these churches that we've already mentioned. The split between them and other types of Christian is over predestination. So basically, does God pick oh, like Calvinism? F- yes, that is Calvinism. Man, you were on point today. We learned about that. Yeah, so the splits over Calvinism. So basically, does God pick like beforehand who goes to heaven or who goes to hell? Or can humans influence that decision with our actions? Or do we decide whether we want to go to heaven or hell? We're definitely going to have a, an entire episode for that as well, where I make it not boring. I want an, I, I don't want any part of having hell. That like. Well, I mean, a lot of Christians don't believe in it really anymore. But really? Oh, yeah. That's, but you know, that's an example of a reason that a denomination might have been left out of this discussion. Because if the difference between them and somebody else is purely theological, then there's not a lot to talk about in this hypothetical where do I want to go to church discussion. Also, there are just so many denominations, and I didn't really want to do another five part series. <laughs> no, yet. <laughs> no, you know what, though? Like when it comes to the sequels, um, or as you guys call it, the New Testament, I mean, it's all Greek to me. Okay, was that on purpose? Because, like, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek. Yes. And you know why? You want want to know why it was written in Greek? (laughs) Why? Because it was written for the Romans, not the Jews. See, if it had been written to be the the, the religion for Jewish people to, like, be like, yeah, our Messiah has definitely come. This is the guy. This is our, our guy. Then they would have written in Hebrew or Aramaic. But it was written for the Romans, so it was written in Greek. And this is just one of the many reasons why I will not be converting to Christianity, and I will instead stay a nice Jewish boy. Alrighty, are you 100% sure about that? Absolutely. Okay, well, I will respect your decision, and we will keep on going with this lovely interfaith discussion of cults and religion. But I hope you had fun today. I did have fun. It's good to know that if I were a Christian, that I would be friends with Michelle Obama. But <laughs> yeah. sadly, I'm not. So I'll just have to keep hanging out with Mari Povich, Amari Stoudemire, and everybody else named in the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. Oh, which is a classic. And a banger. It's a classic so I feel banger. like you're always, like, we always have this, this interaction at the end of a podcast. Like, I think it's going to be all jokes, and then you come up with a serious note at the end. But this time, I'm the one who gets to, to do the serious wrap-up bit. Literally, when we were talking, writing the outline, I thought this episode was going to be all jokes, but there is a serious note. Like that was literally my reaction. Yeah. So we. So that was that was fun. I wanted to do this episode because Sadie could bring up all of the different kinds of Christians, and then I could make fun of them. But I do. (laughs) But I do have like I do have like what you normally do. You'll get like your sixty seconds at the end. What I wanted to say is like for anybody who's coming out of a cult or the IFB or any other cult or for anybody who is feeling like it's time for a change in religion, I just wanted to encourage you and remind you that you really do get to choose because it took me three years after leaving the IFB, like three years of just honestly, I was just bitter and angry. And I know I've said this before, I was allowed to be angry. I was allowed to be separated completely from religion for as long as I needed. And like what I learned is that you can you can absolutely be a good person without being religious, religious. There are people who I look up to personally in my life who are moral, ethical, loving, generous atheists. And on a personal note, 
don't at me. If there is, in fact, a literal heaven and hell, I do not believe for a minute that a sincere atheist who tries to be a moral person goes to hell. But if you're like me, if culturally, personally, it makes more sense for you to follow some religion, you really do. You get to choose whatever you like, anything that's not hateful. And for me, I wanted to stay with Christianity because it is the familiar culture to me. And I'm not concerned with the finer points of doctrinal accuracy because I feel like every Christian church gets something wrong and God is going to have to correct all of us in the end. So I don't really bother with that. For some people, that's important to them. For me, it's totally not. And because of PTSD from growing up in the IFB, I can't be comfortable in most evangelical or Protestant churches. So the ritualistic aspects of Catholicism are meaningful to me. The structure of the church service serves me well. And the values that are taught have made me feel closer to God and made me desire to be a better version of myself. And that is all there is to it. So if there are listeners who are searching or struggling or not really knowing where they want to go with a religion, be whatever you want to be. (laughs) You're not, I wanted to say, you are not going to hell. You are doing fine wherever you are and enjoy your freedom, whether that includes a church or not. And don't you dare ever think that I would judge you or think less of you for a minute, no matter where you do or don't go to church. That was very well put. Yeah, thank you. And not everybody has the luxury of being of not everybody has the luxury of being born into a religious tradition that works for them and that continues to work for them throughout their life. And deciding who you are and what you want from life is one of the most important decisions that we all have to make. Anyway, until next time, uh, my name is Gabriel Hakoan. Uh, you've been listening to the Leaving Eden podcast here with Sadie Carpenter. You can uh, follow the podcast on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Facebook and Instagram, it's Leaving Eden Podcast. Twitter is at Leaving Eden Pod. Um, if you have any questions for us, uh, anything that you want us to talk about, uh, send us an email at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. You can find me on social media. Uh, I'm Gabriel Hakoen, G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Sadie, if you want to plug your social Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. Until next time, I hope you guys have a good day. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.